All right, it's the Stone Trucker Podcast. I'm Marcus Benjamin here with Frank Tucker and Gio Million here representing for CanesCounty.com, part of the Rivals Network. Make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube, live from Canes County, at Canes County, and then also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And fellas, it's the end of the season. Uh, maybe a little bit... <laughs> Uh, faster than we anticipated here that the season would end. Um, I didn't expect Miami not to make a bowl game. I know you guys didn't either. So just just the, the performance on the field all season, not just in this last game, has been subpar, mediocre, insert whatever adjective you want there. But uh, Miami loses 42-16 um, to – uh, Pittsburgh on senior day. And I think a lot of people want to know exactly like who's to blame for this terrible season. Uh, you know, it could be, it could be a lot of people you kind of go with here. Uh, but I want to know like from you guys, who do you think is to blame for, for this abysmal season? Yeah, so I think obviously the biggest uh, person that you could point to immediately is a lot of people or even fans would say, oh, Mario Cristobal, Mario Cristobal made these hires. I don't think it's exactly just one person or one thing. I think it's a mixture of everything just between uh, bad evaluations from prior staffs, uh, lack of development, uh, culture, but also, I think it's a mixture of the coaching, too. It's I think Mario Cristobal brought in a lot of big-name hires that didn't exactly mesh well. There wasn't really much cohesiveness. It always seemed like the offensive coaching staff just, just was never on the same page this year. Uh, it was quite a mess this year. Frank, your thoughts? Yeah. I, can I say everybody? Can I say everybody? It starts with athletic training staff, right? How many injuries do we have this season? That's that, that falls on them, right? It, I don't think we've ever seen it this bad at Miami, right? In regards to that many injuries on every every level of the team, then it starts with Mario, right? You you're Mister Culture, right? And 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 obviously we love Mario. We we think he's going to turn this around, but why is the culture not implemented before the start of the season? You've been here for you know a, a, a pretty extended period of time. Right. This has been since December. Right. You had a whole spring with this team. It's not like it was a bunch of kids that came in in the summer. You had one kid in Colby Young that came in late. Right. Like these kids should have been prepared to compete in a weak ACC. Right. Like the whole thing on kids not buying in, that's a terrible excuse because Sonny Dykes was able to do it at TCU. And we heard the horrible things that Gary Patterson was doing at TCU in regards to culture. So, that's on Mario, right? And then you talk about the coordinators. The coordinators, I don't know what these guys were doing on a weekly basis because Gaddis, right, on five different games scores 16 points or less, right? Ponce has three different opportunities to work with a blue-chip quarterback. Each time he does it, the guy either looks unready as TVD through the first four weeks of the year or Garcia looks unconfident, something that we couldn't even have imagined to happen uh, when he came to Miami as that gunslinger mentality type player. And then Jakari Brown, who's an athletic freak, who at times was maybe 
the best quarterback in the state of Georgia at Lowndes looked like he just wasn't ready to play football at the University of Miami, except for maybe the Georgia Tech game. So it's and then you talk about Steele. Steele five different times the team scored forty points. Right, it, the strength of this team was the defense, especially the defensive line. The amount of transfers that were brought in. You have the high level talent at defensive back. They talked about DJ Ivy being DJ Ivy for the first time in his seventeen years in the University of Miami. Right, like. It, it falls on everybody. Every level of this program yeah. has failed this season. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to – sorry about that, Marcus. I, no, I got to agree with the point that Frank made. Like, look, I, I'm i not going to get into coach bashing too much, but I love the energy, Frank, and I think you're right in a lot of points. The other thing I was going to say was just in regards to just the whole coordinators and everything – I don't want to lean towards favoring one side, but I don't think the offense uh, really gave much for for Coach Kevin Steele to work with. I mean, there, let's be honest. There was a lot of big uh, chunk yardage plays given up throughout the season, which uh, Coach Steele refuted at one point, and then some stats and facts were dropped, and you know he admitted to it. But Miami's offense was very stagnant. There was no progression throughout the year. I think it was mostly regression from game one to game 12. Uh, just throughout the year, it seemed like they just got worse and worse. Could that have been the injuries? Maybe. I, I think it played a little part, but almost every team in the country deals with injuries too. Eventually, this is also why you got to build depth. Maybe Miami doesn't have the depth. There's a lot of questions, but I lean more towards the side that I feel like the offense kind of held the defense back a bit. And what I mean by that is look at the protection of the of the defensive line this year. You know, top 10 in the nation in sacks. Uh, they're, they're getting after the quarterback. So something's got to give. I got a question for you guys, though. Who assesses the talent level on the team? Like, who does that? I think it's I think it's a mixture between Alonzo and Mario. So that's who I would blame. That's who I blame then. I'm sorry. I'm going to blame Alonzo and Mario for what has happened this season. Because if you looked up and down this roster and you thought that this would be good enough to get to a bowl game, then that's your bad. Then that is your fault. You it's your responsibility to really assess where you are and who to hire. Now I think maybe some of the, some of these hires were were extremely questionable and they the the schemes uh didn't didn't work in in a lot of these games. So for me, you got to go up top and I got to blame Mario for not properly assessing this team at, at the beginning of the season. Because if he did then you wouldn't be in a situation where you're you're crying basically about the depth on the team and also uh, crying about basically just there not being enough talent on the team. This is not something that you saw before the season started. And now and then when attrition happens naturally as football, obviously you're going to have some injuries I felt like there was a lot of blame from the coaches just kind of blaming the previous staff 
uh, based on the uh, talent acquisitions. Uh, like they they would blame, hey, this this is not really us. If we had if we had a program that was already built up, then this wouldn't happen. That that's the message that I'm getting from from the coaches. And I think that's that's a lame excuse because you had the entire year, you had spring, you had fall camp to really assess this program. If you saw this, I mean, they were des- they were kind of decimated with injuries in spring. So at that point, I think you really have to see who who else you could have brought in to this program uh, or figure out some kind of scheme to do more with less. Well, there's two points that I want to add on there to this subject. Uh, number one, with Mario Cristobal, I think one of the other mistakes that he made in the offseason, and we saw this at other programs, look at uh, at Brian Kelly over at LSU. Uh, he booted off a lot of players off that roster. He brought in more of his own guys. I think Mario Cristobal kind of went into this season thinking, you know, that like, look, let's be honest, on paper, on paper only, let's because the results show what happened this year. But on paper, do we think Miami is a five-win talent team? I'm asking you, Marcus and Frank. I think that based on how they utilize the talent, absolutely. All right, how many times did we did we question the personnel decisions, uh, uh, especially offensively? Right. I mean, Colby Young, why are we waiting till midseason for Colby Young to get on the field? Because it's obvious that the other receivers ain't know the plays like that anyways. It, you know, it's not like, like if you want to talk semantics and say that the other guys are doing the right things in practice. If they were doing everything right in practice, why would did it not translate to the game at all? Right. Like after Texas A&M, I think there should have been a moment of self-reflection for everybody uh, in the program to be like, we don't have the receiver talent right now. Why don't we use the six foot six freak of nature on the outside a little bit earlier than expected? And if you look at the defensive side of the ball, it's the same thing with Wesley. Wesley ended up being the best linebacker on the team this year. And I get it. You don't want to rush a freshman onto the field, but we're pushing Caleb Johnson out there for a large portion of snaps. And this guy can't even get outside the tackle box. It seems time to time, right? Like I, I, I question why we have guys in the field that, we say we don't have enough talent, but we're keeping the same guys in. There's 85 scholarship players on this roster. You have to move things around in some way, shape, or form to, to figure out what you have. Right? We do it at quarterback. We did it at running back. I mean, we're even putting Lucius Stanley in there. But then we're not seeing the full rotation of everybody at certain spots, and, it, and it's super confusing to me. I know Avante Williams has his issues off the field, and there's been questions about maturity, but – we don't see him. Gilbert Frierson, they talk about him being a potential coach on the field, right? We don't see him, right? They're a porter. You know, they go after him in the portal. He's a main target guy. You know, we, we hear all the numbers that he's getting NIL-wise. We're getting smoked defensively at defensive back. We don't see him, right? It, it, it's one thing after the other with these guys. Nigel Lee Kelly, right? Like, we're not getting a pass rush, right? Like, I mean, at, there was moments in the game – on Saturday, where we couldn't get to the quarterback. What in the first half? I don't think we had a sack, right? But yeah. you're not like we don't even see Cyrus Smalls, right? You don't, you can't put him on the field on third down. You don't have to ask him to set the edge on third and twelve, right? 
you like more Nigel Lee Kelly. We're not seeing that. So my question is, you know, it's not is the talent five and seven. It's how they utilize the talent is five and seven. Marcus. Yeah, I mean, I think the talent on paper should be better than five and seven. When when you look up and down, you know, the roster, they should be five and seven. I mean, if if I were to play devil's advocate, I would say that they thought that these players weren't ready. I mean, that that's what they I mean, that's the obvious answer, right? Uh, the only reason why they didn't put Wesley tr- and, and, and Nigel Lee tr- true freshmen is because they felt like they weren't ready or they weren't uh, uh, they did not want to trust them in, in game situations. The other thing I wanted to say, though, is that after that Texas A&M game, the response from the coaches was more like, oh, we were almost there. We, we almost had that game. So there, there wasn't a moment of truth for them to realize, okay, this, this talent that is on this team is not good enough. They feel like, okay, if we coach these guys up, they are going to, you know, win football games. And I don't think it really hit them until that Middle Tennessee State game that this team is just not talented enough. Because if they felt that, if they felt that way and they saw it, go back to my, my earlier point, if they knew that the talent wasn't good enough, then they would have made the changes way earlier. And then when they finally did make changes, Tyler Van Dyke gets hurt, and then, you know, we, we all know how the story went from there. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, on that first point that I made right before I asked you guys, I think one of the mistakes was that Mario Cristobal may have put a little too much trust or confidence in the fact that, you know, he tried to give some of these players a chance, and some of them folded, some of them rised up to the top. Uh, the second point that I was going to bring up is, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's definitely tough to see this outcome this year. And I agree with you guys that, you know, when you see a season fall apart like this, you have to point at the head coach first, the head coach, like Mario Cristobal says, after every presser, he says, it falls on me. It's, I have, it's my responsibility to get this right. So Speaking about the culture that Mario is trying to bring into Miami, the comments from Cameron Kinchins last night, Marcus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. His comments were pretty clear and direct. We're basically saying basically what Chris Ball said earlier. If I could say this in Florida uh, terms or Florida jargon is like, come get your jit, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, come pick up your kid uh if you're not happy about um playing time and i think that's basically kind of what cam pinchin said you know in the locker room at the end of this game if you're not happy with how things are going or where this program is going or your playing time or whatever then you know don't don't let the door hit you you know, where the good Lord split you, you know? Uh, so <laughs> you could just, and in, in this era of college football, fortunately for them, they do have that option and they can play right away nowadays. So there's going to be a lot of changes uh, this, this uh, off season. We already know next 
couple weeks or so, we're going to see a lot of changes when it comes to, you know, recruiting and, and uh, we're expecting a, a recruit to be, uh, you know, committing this week. And we're expecting a lot of players to be transferring this week. We're also are expecting firings to happen this week. Um, but those comments in particular to me, coming from a true sophomore, really kind of embodies where this program has been these past couple of years, because if you have a sophomore kind of stepping up and saying something and being a leader, it tells me they weren't any real leaders on this team to begin with. And I think Cam Kinchins now feels that way because he's been playing so well. And now these other players are looking up to him. But as far as all of the other older players on the team, it really kind of says a lot to, to me about, you know, who the tr true leaders are on the team. I agree with you. It, it's a cause for concern. Why is one of your leaders on this team an underclassman? I mean, and it doesn't surprise me knowing Cam since he was in high school playing at North, Miami Northwestern, but it's, it is a cause for concern. Why are the upperclassmen, the seniors, the juniors, the guys that have been here for years not stepping up? not holding guys accountable in the locker room. Why, why does it take an underclassman to do that? And, you know, maybe it could ache and back to, you know, when Butch Davis had first arrived those first couple of years when he had that freshman class come in in 97. And, you know, that, that was a rough year. Uh, Miami had a losing record that year. But they did have some underclassmen, some key pieces that you could see as – you know, just glimmers of hope. Uh, I think some of those guys are like Cameron Kinchins, Wesley Bassaint, uh, even a Nigel e. Kelly, young guys like that that are very promising that have put up some good performances. So is, is everything totally bad? No, I wouldn't say, but I agree with Cameron Kinchins' statement that he said in the locker room. You know, if, if you're not on board, then just leave. Frank, I mean, I tried. I tried getting it out of Cam Kinchins when I asked him. I know you did, man. You pride, bro. <laughs> I pride. I pride. He wouldn't give it to me. He wouldn't give it to me. I was. I was trying to ask him why the South Florida kids are not living up to the building right now. And and I feel like all three of us here, like we're South Florida guys. We love the South Florida recruits, and and we think that 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 should be the bedrock of this football team, but. You know, in the past, it was like Willis McGahee, it was Devin Hester, it was, you know, it was one Roscoe Pair, you know, it, it was one guy after the other from South Florida that stepped up and ended up being a dude for this team as a leader, the Sean Taylors of the world, right? Like, if every guy that was like an impact player, the Entrell Rolls, it, it, they were all South Florida guys. And we don't see that South Florida confidence from this team right now, except for like guys like Cam Kitchens, right? Like, even James Williams, like, where are you at as a leader, man? Right? Like, we, we need you. Like, we, at American Heritage, you were, you were a dude, right? At Western High School, you were a dude. Leonard Taylor, yeah, you have Palmetto. Like, these are, are all guys that come from winning programs, right? Like, th these aren't kids that came from, you know, West Broward and Cooper City or, you know, South Miami. Like, these are all guys that came from prominent programs. Like, you, you know what it takes to win. You've been around winning. And, and we're not seeing the same energy from these guys. It's, it's like – the NIL age of football has almost like made it so that this is just like a nine to five for them. 
And, and that's the part that's concerning for me because, you know, like the Al Blades of the world, like I need you to be more of a leader, right? Like this was a time for you to potentially shine, right? It's, you're a year coming back healthy, right? They're, the defensive backs aren't living up to the billing and, and, and you're nowhere to be heard from, right? DJ Ivy, like it, it you know, we, we love to see the emotion in the press conference, but I don't think I, I saw much emotion except for when he got, you know, opportunistic interceptions throughout the year, right? Like nobody was holding anybody accountable. Like you didn't see nobody getting into anybody's face on the sidelines of games. It was just like we're existing. And I think that's the biggest problem. That That's the thing that's the most alarming to me is that there there's really not that accountability. And, and it's great to see Cam Kinchins do it, but you can't just have one guy – be that voice of reason in the program. There has to be a core collective that can come out and bring that out of everybody. And right now, one of 85 is not the answer. Is the South Florida kid overrated? I don't think so because we see some of the top South Florida kids leave the state of Florida and go on and produce for SEC programs. I think it's a mixture of I, I personally think – I still think Miami gets some of the top, top guys, but some of them that slip through the cracks, you know, they produce elsewhere. thinks it's a mixture of distractions. It's a mixture of bad coaching before. But the other thing is I think sometimes Miami gets some of the scraps that other schools don't want. Yeah. I, I think when are we going to see a staff come in and grab the top five guys from South Florida – in, a, in one class, right? Like this class, right? Love Mario and recruiting. Think he does an excellent job. We're seeing Brandon in his go away, right? We're seeing Mark Fletcher not committed to Miami right now. We're talk, we're seeing him talk to University of Florida. Why are you talking to University of Florida? They are six and six away from home. NIL opportunities are here, right? Opportunities to play at running back are here, right? Like it, we're, we're, we're Damari Brown, not committed. He takes a visit to Alabama, this past weekend, right? He's a legacy kid, Ruben right? Lane. One of the best cornerbacks we've seen down here in years. Part of that American heritage, uh, you know, tree. Damian Fagan, another kid. We have no safety prospects, right? We can't get any of the top three safeties in South Florida to flip to go to Miami, right? Now, whether that's evaluation and they are not a fan or what, but like if you just look at every spot, it's – Miami's not really getting the top guy. Stan Quan Clark, the number one linebacker in South Florida. They're recruiting him. He's committed to Louisville, and he's looking at Auburn. No head coach. Let's let's be real, bro. It's because they suck on the football field. If they didn't suck so bad, these kids would come. But but right, if you had, but the staff has to be able to put belief in that, right? Because Saban was coming down here at the beginning of his tenure and grabbing guys, right? Like there there were. Huge, like, and listen, I think 2023 is a building block class, right? I think that, that, you know, they're going in the right direction. But, like, 2024 is going to be a huge fork in the road for me in regards to the type of South Florida kids that they get. If you miss out on Jeremiah Smith, if you miss out on Josiah Trader, if you miss out on Davion Gals, if you miss out on Zaquan Patterson, if you miss out on all these kids that are top-level recruits, that we've seen ball, right, and are talking about Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia, right, then that's the problem is going to continue. The cycle uh, continues to go the direction that it is. Speaking about that, just about that 2024 class, I've had this sentiment for some time now that 
I think Miami will have a pretty good chance at possibly getting a top five class this 2023 class. I think, you know, most coaches get this class. Or, this class you think it, it could be top five? Yes, I, I still believe they have the possibility to to find their way in the top five. I don't think top three, but I could see them making the top five. Uh, possibly. possibly. That, now, that, my that, thing that, is that. a lot of first-year coaches, they get that first buffer year, you know, where you get kind of get that first-year recruiting bump. Kids will buy into the vision. They'll say, okay, you know, it's the first year, new staff, everyone's coming in. Obviously, it's not going to be perfect, even though we've seen different scenarios around the country, TCU, for example, like Frank brought up earlier. But um, my concern is with that 2024 class next year, for sure. Uh, you had this product on the field this year. What happens next year if you don't produce on the field? Will you produce the same results in recruiting in 2024 as you did in 2023? I don't think so. I don't think it will repeat again if you repeat the same type of season. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, when, when you're rattling the, those names, I'm thinking if I had to guess right now, who knows, right? Anything could happen. I would say uh, Jeremiah Smith goes to Ohio State. I would say Davion Goss goes to somewhere else. I'm not sure where. I say Zaquan Patterson probably goes to Georgia. You know, and I say they probably get JoJo, you know, which is is probably it's it's pretty much kind of what Miami recruiting has kind of been like. They get one out of five of of of, of the kind of the top guys. I think that's kind of their hit rate. And once they produce on the field is the only way it, it's going to change. I mean, I understand Cristobal is a great recruiter and he is. The fact that he's got a top 10 class right now with a team not even making a bowl game is a remarkable feat in itself. So, and you, you have no signature wins this season either. No, like you have no wins that you could be like, Hey, we, we won this game and you can hang your hat on, on this one game. Like Texas A&M is the other program that's, that's not performing on the field but still has a top 25 class, but they can hang their hat on that LSU win now. Like, oh, see, we beat LSU. We're, we're, we're on the right track here. Miami doesn't have one signature win on the schedule. Like Georgia Tech, that's your best win. Your best win is against Georgia Tech, a team that's not making a bowl game. So, so yeah, to me, I think it, it all depends on what they do on the field. I think, yeah, you, you can, you can, you can get a top 10 class. It seems like, but like you guys said, if they don't perform in 2023, that 2024 class is not going to be a top 10 class. Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me was like, I talked to Brandon is after, after his playoff win against Gibbons. Right. And the one thing that he said that, that really stood out to me and he sounded super definitive about his decision. You know, we put that, but put that article out there was he just wanted to see more, right? Like that's super alarming, right? Like there's like, he didn't, he wasn't looking at the future of it, right? Like he wasn't looking at the buy-in. He wasn't looking at where his other teams were going. He's like, I got to make a decision. I didn't see enough. <laughs> right. And, and that, and that's a kid that's going to be, him, though. 
Yeah, and, and that's going to be a kid that's going to be influential to those kids in that 2024 class as well, right? Because South Florida Express has a strong hold on, on the best kids in the class, right? And if you're if your kids that you're if you're if, if you're big bros, the guys you look up to, right? Or we're saying eh, Miami, they can't even beat Pitt, right? They they can't beat Pitt, Tennessee State. They can't beat, you know, they're struggling with Virginia. It, why, what, how are you gonna? How are you gonna be able to pull that off? Because Mario can can give the used car salesman approach, you know, nine hundred times to kids, right? And you can text kids at four thirty in the morning every day, and that's great. And kids love that, and they see the effort, right? But it's like if you're talking to a girl, right, and you're putting in a lot of effort, but you make minimum wage, right, and you live you live in the projects, the dude that the dude that only gives her a little bit of attention. <laughs> You know, might might lose that category on you, but yeah. you got everything else, right? You, you right. ain't getting the girl. You ain't gonna get the girl. That is and a so, perfect analogy, bro. Like there's levels, there's levels to it, you know. There's levels to this, right? <laughs> so you have to get to the you have to get to the stage where you're at competitive nature, right? Like at least with at least with Manny, right? Mario was able to to make the argument. Listen, you saw they were competitive with with Manny Diaz. They went seven and they well, it's what's eight, seven and five, right? In the regular season or something like that. Yeah, right. Yeah. And they still, but they were still competitive in a number of those games, right? Like you lose the Florida State close, right? Like you can say, like, we're almost there. We're almost there. This year, you can't say we're almost there because right. it, uh, Texas AM, you came and look at that game and be like, hey, listen, we, we were close against one of the top 25 teams in the country. They were horrible this year outside of a win against LSU. Right. So, so you're 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 saying we're not close to Clemson right now. We're cl- not close to Pitt right now, who is not overwhelmingly talented. They take the scraps of, of Miami scraps, and you're not you're not really that much better than you're overtime better than Virginia. Who? Come on, Virginia Tech is about to fire. Looks like they might fire their coach after a, a two year you know two year bid. It, you're not there yet. You're not there. Yet. You got to get to eight to nine wins for this to work. And I, I'm super worried about the future of recruiting. I think that this class, like Gio said, is probably going to be around that top five range because I still think that they get Samson Okanola, and that's going to be a huge building block of the class, right? Like it's star studded. We're not going to sugarcoat it. It's star studded, not from a South Florida perspective, but they did a great job of recruiting nationally and getting kids to buy in. We saw Frankie last night. And he was still beaming ear to ear. If he if he could enroll early, he would, but he can't because he's at a you know at a Catholic school that it doesn't allow that. So and yeah, they've done yeah. an excellent job of keeping things together. They got to take that next step next year. So there there's got to either be an influx of forty really good players, right? Some changes on that offensive staff, um, you know, some self reflection defensively on what they're going to be able to do in coverage. Maybe you know moving some guys around, maybe putting DVD. Uh, at that cornerback's coach spot, something along those lines so that this can get better. But they, they have to win at least eight, nine games next year to have a chance at, at, at rebuilding this program in the way that they want to. So speaking about this current class, um, you know, and there's something I want to mention here. It's just the similarities I see compared to that first year when Randy Shannon arrived at Miami that – infamous 2008 recruiting class that Miami Hurricanes fans always talk about, you know, Arthur Brown, Marcus Forston, you know, 
uh, some five-star guys that were in that class. You had guys like Sean Spence, Travis Benjamin, Ja'Cory Harris, a lot of big-name guys around the country in that respective class. Uh, you know, just unfortunately, Arthur Brown ended up transferring out, becoming an All-American at Kansas State. But uh, there was a bit of success, and there was quite some disappointments in that class. So it's kind of strange seeing it all together now because Miami goes 5-7 and seven this year. Randy Shannon went five and seven that first year. He had that first year recruiting bump, big top five class. Miami is looking like they could potentially close the top five class this year with Mario. Do we think this recruiting class holds up? Yeah, it's it's, it's really eerily similar to that era. Hopefully, hopefully it doesn't play out the same way, but I do think this this class does hold up. And because I think it would have fell apart already. <laughs> if it was going to fall apart, I think it would have already fallen apart. You see that, you know, Jaden Rashada decided to to go elsewhere. Um, I, and I think during that time when he did, which was like a month ago, I think we would have saw more dominoes fall if they were actually going to fall. Or even earlier when they were losing to Duke in Middle Tennessee State you would think that they would fall during that time like previous recruiting classes. But since that hasn't happened and you've kind of seen a buy-in with these kids through social media, I mean, even after this game, you see Robbie posting on social media, you know, just kind of staying, you know, uh, you know, stay with us or, or, or without us type of type of attitude and Ray Ray, same way. And you just talked about Frankie. Uh, so I think this class does hold up. I don't see any reason why it wouldn't hold up. I mean, I mean, there's that there's always a possibility of a kid decommitting, but I think the opportunity for these kids to play right away is a big selling point. Cormani can essentially play right away. Malik Bryant can essentially play right away. Um, and some of these guys on, I, I, I'm going to almost bet that one of these guys is going to end up being a starter. One of these guys on the offensive line is going to be possibly a starter next season. So at some point, because, you know, injuries happen. So I think that is a big selling point for these kids. And I think another way that, that Mario Cristobal and his staff are probably selling this is that is, hey, look at our track record with Oregon. Look what Oregon is doing. Or look what look how 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 many wins that 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 they produced or how many NFL draft picks that they produced over at Oregon and these previous places. I think they're basing it on that or basing their reputation on that. And I think that's what these kids are buying. Gio, you got anything on that? You want me to touch yeah. on it? Yeah, no, um, I'll touch on it and then you go, Frank. But uh, I think I think the class sticks together just speaking with these kids. You know, Frank's spoken with the kids. Marcus, you've spoken with them too. Uh, we've all spoken with them. And uh, just speaking with Miami staffers and some of the recruiting staff as well, it seems like the rest of this class is going to stick. They're bought in. They believe that they are the solution. They're very confident in that. Uh, couple of standout guys just from speaking with them. Uh, 
Raul Aguirre and and Ray Ray Joseph, those two really stand out. Uh, well, even Francis Malagoa, those three stand out as guys that could potentially come right in and you know try to try to make an impact in the locker room, trying to change the culture. Uh, I I don't ex- I don't foresee any decommitment. Um, could there potentially be one? Like Marcus said, yeah, there's always a possibility. But the chances are very low, very low off of what I know right now. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's going to be any decommitments, right? Like Malik Bryant. Like I was a little worried when you heard some of the Florida rumors, just because that's where I thought he was originally going to go when the season like went before he committed to Miami. Um, you know, at one point he he's been throwing up the U during games and stuff like that. You know. I, Kids are kids are turning down visits to other schools, so I, I don't think that they're going to lose any kids. I think that I'm a little weary on on some of the kids that are supposed to be ending up in this class, right? Like I think Damari Brown is still a Miami lean, but if Bama wants to make a push, that could cause that could cause some problems there, right? If if Ohio State wants to get back into the Mark Fletcher race, right? You know, we've seen some of his comments. Uh, you know, with his conversations with Ryan Wright and stuff like that and, and us, uh, you know, NIL is going to be a factor in his decision, right? So it, it's not all locking in top five for us right now. I think it's locking in top 10. I think they end up with Samson Okanola, like I said, but uh, I, I think they still got to round out this class. You know, we're, we're talking about them potentially bringing in 40 plus guys this offseason. 25 of that should be coming from the high school ranks because you got to build this over three to four years. You don't want to be doing the Manny Diaz thing where you're yearly relying on, you know, big time guys from the transfer portal at a certain point, you want it to be just, you know, one or two big time acquisitions in the transfer portal. And you've had, and you have three to four year guys in your program that are the core of this team. So, you know, I'm a little worried about the potential six guys that they're supposed to be getting in this class compared to the 19 currently committed. Yeah. 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 I hear you. I hear you a hundred percent on that. Uh, I'm worried about a lot of those guys as well, but uh, let's, let's kind of move on here. Uh, I did want to also kind of touch on just what we're hearing this week, because this is kind of like, you know, tomorrow's like doomsday, right? It's like black Monday, black Monday. And, you know, there's potentially a lot of things that, that are going to be happening as far as transfers, firings, and just, a lot of movement all around um, without giving away too much guys. And I'm, and I'm going to, you know, just kind of mention something that, that I've been hearing uh, that a certain analyst that's close to home, I'll just say won't be returning uh, with the team. Um, so that that's, that's what I'm hearing with, with Miami a lot of other things are are, 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 are speculation out there or, or hearsay, but what are some of the things that you guys are expecting to happen this week? Well, there will be multiple departures this week uh, via the transfer portal. Uh, we are aware of some of those names. Uh, Canes fans, we are ready and prepared to fire off those articles when they go public. Uh, the other thing is there's going to be offensive staff changes. I have been informed of that. I uh, spoke with a source uh, just today, actually. 
And the other thing of notice, uh, Miami will be getting a commitment this week, apparently. Okay. Yeah, I, I think we're gonna lose. I think we're gonna lose a lot. You know, a number of South Florida kids that are in this program that aren't playing still too. Um, you know, we're gonna see some names that that kind of picked it up towards the end of the year that I think are still gonna end up leaving this program. Um, you know, they're gonna probably try to keep those guys, but I, I still think we're gonna see a mass exodus of kids um, that just aren't buying into what you know Mario and them are selling. Um, and and I think some of them are gonna be some impact players. With all that being said, what what areas on the team do you think, when 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 all the dust settles, right? Do you think Miami? Um, what what areas do you think Miami should start to look uh, as far as like position wise, coaching, like what are the areas where you you think they should go in the transfer portal, or uh, you know go into the JUCO ranks for, or you know start plucking coaches from different teams from what what areas do you guys think so in regards to player acquisition i think that obviously they're already doing evaluations at receiver in the transfer portal with andrew armstrong i think that's going to pick up more and more because the Deshaun lions news seems to have died off a little bit right like the noise there after his visit to washington i I wouldn't be surprised to see him stay on the west coast um you know and it doesn't look like the brandon ennis is the carnell tates the jury on dickies like the Andy Jeans are ending up falling through, you know, falling into, you know, Miami's hands. Um, so I think that they're going to be looking at the transfer portal has heavy for outside talent at receiver. Um, I think that linebacker, they're going to be looking at some guys. I know they're bringing in three kids, um, but, you know, Caleb, no Caleb Johnson, right. You know, we could potentially see some guys transfer from that, from that position. Wayman Steed is now gone. You're going to need some guys to fill some snaps, even yeah. with Wesley taking a step forward. Uh, just because, you know, Bobby Washington, freak athlete, is he going to be ready to play right away? I don't think so. Um, you know, Malik Bryant, there's still going to be a little bit of a transition to him playing a total off-ball linebacker type role. He's super athletic. He's done a hell of a job this year really adjusting to not being an edge guy like he was at IMG and Jones the, the first time around. But they're going to br- need to bring in some veteran talent with some athletic traits at the linebacker position or James Williams is going to have to move into the box because th- there's going to have to be some things that have to happen on that second level for this defense to be And I also think that they're going to be looking at cornerback really heavy. Uh, Tyreek Stevenson had an okay year, but you can't have the ups and downs like you did this year. It doesn't seem like they trust Daryl Porter enough. See, you know, everything we hear is there's too many missed assignments in practice and things of that nature. So I, I, I'm a little worried on that progression with Daryl Porter. And I, I, I don't think that the Kamari Rogers of the world are going to be staying in this program. So I think that they're going to go look for a number of guys at cornerback. I know you got Cormani McClain. You're going after Damari Brown. Antoine Jackson's going to be a 16-year-old freshman. We cannot even talk about him playing at the University of Miami as a freshman. He's still supposed to be a young high school senior. So right. let's, let's not put – you know, a round peg into a small hole. He's going to be a red shirt kid in the weight room on a daily basis, just learning uh, next season. Um, and Robert Stafford is is still a transitioned receiver that just played his full season at cornerback. Did an incredible job, looked really good. But the the playing at Ugali, right, losing in the first round of the playoffs as a cornerback against suburban competition is going to be different than 
playing in that in the ACC where we know that there is receiving talent, uh, you know, to, to, to come at you. So I think the three positions they're going to be going after heavy in the transfer portal is going to be receiver, linebacker, and cornerback. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in here. Um, I think you'll see Miami take a look at quarterbacks in the transfer portal. Uh, there will be a departure from the room. That's a given. Uh, at running back, there is going to be another transfer from what I have been told. Uh, Miami's going to attack the transfer portal and the high school ranks at running back. Miami's willing to take up to two running backs in the high school class. At receiver, Miami's open to taking three to four high school guys. They have two guys committed right now, All-Americans and Robbie Washington and Ray Ray Joseph Jr. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, a lot of steam has died down between the Tayshawn Lyons recruitment, Brandon Ennis. Uh, they're still hanging in there with Micah Mays, but he's still locked in with Wake Forest as it stands. Obviously, you know, as Frank mentioned before, transfer portal guys, Andrew Armstrong, Grant Duvos, I expect them to pick it up even more in the upcoming days with a couple of other receivers in the transfer portal. Uh, there's some guys that are going to be hopping in there. Seven McGee will also be out there as well. Uh, that's one to keep an eye on in the transfer portal for Miami. And offensive line. Uh, yeah, it, Miami's got their five guys right now, and they're mainly just focused on bringing in Samson Okunlola. But I expect Miami to attack that as well, just trying to build depth there. You saw this season, all the injuries that happened on that offensive line, how depleted that unit was. I think Miami really wants to fortify that for next year and not – not to just to try not to run into that same type of issue again. Then you move over to the defensive side of the ball. It would not shock me at all to see Miami attack for defensive tackles. There's no defensive tackle commitments right now in Miami's 2023 recruiting class. You know, they're going after guys like Xavier McLeod, Sam Green, Joshua Horton. But, you know, with Xavier McLeod, South Carolina commit, you got to wonder with South Carolina coming off those two big wins against Tennessee and then um, I'm drawing a blank here. What was the what was that other win that they just had just recently? That was uh, it was another big program when they had oh Clemson. Sorry, Clemson. Yeah. So you have to wonder: Does Miami still have that traction with Xavier McLeod in the interior line? So I expect Miami to attack that transfer portal as a defensive tackle, very similar to last year. Uh, look at how many guys they brought in: Daryl Jackson, Jacob Lichtenstein, Antonio Moultrie. Uh, even Akeem Mesidor, who, you know, he kind of jumps in there at times on the interior line as well, just being moved around as a chess piece. Linebacker, there's going to be two departures from the room that I'm aware of. Uh, you know, you're bringing in three guys. They're looking to bring in one more linebacker from the high school ranks. They're still talking to Anthony Hill. They're still talking to Stanquan Clark. And look, I'll drive, I'll, I'll drop a surprise name in here. Many people might not be aware of, uh, Miami still has been in contact with Troy Bowles from Tampa Jesuit, committed to Georgia, actually. Surprise there. Again. But um, I, don't, I don't think Miami really gets in that one, but they've stayed in contact. And like Frank mentioned, cornerback, I, there's going to be quite some departures in that cornerback room. Miami is looking to totally reshuffle that position group. Uh, they're not happy with performance. They're not happy with what they have there. They want to shake up the room. So how much better can you do that by the high school ranks? They're still in it with Jakeem Jackson. Uh, 
transfer portal guys, they're going to be attacking that too. So, and then the last position you got, safety. Uh, Miami's got Caleb Spencer in the class. That's only one safety in the class. You're going to have multiple departures in the safety room. You've already had two, uh, even though both didn't really play much in Kashawn Washington and and uh, Jalen Harrell. But, you know, what? there's been a lot of rumors circulating around about Avante Williams transferring. Uh, maybe, maybe even Brian Balaam could look for greener pastures. Uh, he didn't really get a shot this year to get on the on the defensive side of the ball. So I expect Miami to attack the transfer portal heavily, but the main positions, like Frank brought up, wide receiver, cornerback, linebacker, offensive line. Those are the main four. Yeah, for me, no position is safe, bro. No position is safe. I mean, I think Miami needs help at every position. I think you need depth at every every position we saw how depleted the offensive line was because of a lack of depth uh we, we saw how depleted the wide receiver room was the running back room um and we always needed talent or more talent at the linebacker position and and with dj ivy and possibly tyreek stevenson uh you know moving on we're definitely going to need some help at, at cornerback and totally agree with what you said at safety. I, I think the only position that you probably don't have to look for talent is tight end. Uh, that's probably the. It really kind of depends on who de- if someone departs from from that room. I'm expecting at least one to depart from that room. Uh, but even with that departure, I think you're okay with three guys that you have committed to the class, along with Arroyo um, and Brantley and and, and Skinner. Um, you know, likely to return. Well, we'll see. But um, the most important for me is quarterback, though. I think that is a position that you are going to have to get another guy. You're going to have to get one more guy out there because I I believe Peyton Matocha is on his 17th year of eligibility, and I think he's going to be gone, right? And then you, you, but your top two guys, there's no guarantee that they're coming back. You know, there's been a lot of rumors about both of those guys possibly going elsewhere, maybe trying their hand at the league. Um, But either way, you need to find a guy in the transfer portal or Juco, rather the transfer portal, though, at quarterback. It's the most important position on the field. And we saw how Miami suffered with a lack of a passing game. And... I think I think that's the most important uh, position, to be honest, because from what we're hearing, um, that could be a very depleted room very soon. So I think they definitely need to hit the hit, uh, you know, the transfer portal at quarterback. And speaking of that, I mean, the fact that they even played TVD in this game where he wasn't even 100 percent to me is kind of telling. I felt like was this his supposed to be his swan song? Was was that what it was supposed to be? Because if this indeed is a quarterback that you want to keep for the future, then why risk him in a game uh where he wasn't 100%? I understand you were trying to make a bowl game or whatnot, but given the fact that he played means that he took away reps during the week from you know, Jake Garcia and Jakari Brown, 
So yeah. I, I just don't understand if he's not 100%. And, of course, Cristobal is going to say, yeah, he was 100%. He went through, you know, a gazillion tests uh, to, to be cleared for this game. But I'm not buying it because it's the same situation that happened with the Florida State game. He played for one series and he was out. I mean, the exact same situation. So I don't understand why they why they played them. And, and I'm reading between the lines there with that whole quarterback situation. And um, TVD's got, got a decision to make. And it's going to be very interesting what he decides if he indeed decides to come back to Miami. Either way, though, like I said, Miami needs to find – another quarterback to add to this roster. I totally agree. I think, you know, it's, it's great to have Emory Williams. He's going to be a project early on. Uh, he's coming from a three and seven program at Milton. Uh, you know, he, he's got the arm talent to be successful, but so did Peyton Matocha and, and so did guys, you know, that, that just never really lived up to, to, you know, their division one potential uh, at Miami prior. So, uh, I think, you know, the transfer portal, it, it, especially with someone that has some athletic athletic traits, is going to have to be a target, right? Yeah. Like, that, it's, you're going to have to, right? Like if a, a Malik Murphy or somebody like that goes into the portal, you might have to, you know, kick the tires because, you know, we love Tyler Van Dyke and we love Jay Garcia, but we see how limited this offense gets when the quarterback isn't able to do anything with his legs. And Garcia, you know, a lot more mobile than TVD, but still there's just something missing there in the offense. The modern day of college, modern age of college football requires you to be able to have another guy with the ball in his hands that can change, uh, you know, what the defense does. And I think that was one of the things that was missing with Miami this year. You know, Ja'Kory Brown just wasn't good enough as a passer to really threaten you, uh, you know, vertically uh, and then just you know our other guys just couldn't do anything on the ground so I think to round out this offense with what Gaddis ideally wants to do on the ground they're gonna have to go get a more athletic quarterback yeah I agree with that point um, makes sense considering what you have on the roster neither TVD Jake or even Emery coming in neither of those guys are a true, true dual threat quarterback. Uh, do some of them have the capability to get out of the pocket and try to create something with their legs? Yes, but not at the same rate as a Jakari Brown. So you got to have some diversity in that quarterback room. Uh, the other talking point I want to bring up, though, and this is a good one because uh, there is a certain Miami staffer slash legend that brought this up, uh, star ratings. How accurate are they? I'll let Marcus start off with this. Yeah, I mean, I kind of touched on this earlier, but uh, I, I don't feel like these these ratings are, are, are very accurate. Um, uh, and just just so everyone knows, and, and people might be listening like, oh, you guys are the rivals guys, and you got to talk about ratings. Like, yeah and no. Uh, we have some influence, uh, but uh, we – we just have just that, you know, it's just some influence. We don't have the final say we we're not adding stars for kids. If, if we did, it, it would be 
uh let's just say it would probably be a little bit more on point than what it is right now but um but yeah i i think i think too many guys are rated as five stars that that yeah. that's just my opinion i think too many i think a five-star guy should be almost a can't miss nfl player to me and i think a lot of five-star players are questionable uh if if they can make it to the league be productive, that type of player. So I, I think a lot of guys down here in South Florida um, are overrated. And I do believe like a lot of guys are also underrated. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, the, the ratings aren't an exact science, but based on the roster of, of Miami, I feel like a lot of the guys who were rated high shouldn't have been rated as high as they are. I'm not going to say which players those are, but I do believe a lot of those players that are on the Miami football team have been rated too high. And the expectations for them are, are too high as well. I don't even know if it was that they were too high. Um, I think that sometimes these staffs rely too much on those high school evaluations and a kid being a four-star kid because there's work that goes into that, right? Like it, it all this is great, right? Rankings are are, are great. Uh, you know, you you win signing day based on your team's ranking, and 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 you know you can build off that, right? It, it builds excitement, but it's just a projection. It's really just a projection to the next level, right? Like, if it was up to me, Ruben Bain's a five-star player, right? Brandon Innes, proven five-star player, right? And, and but we have questions about other kids, right? And, and and it's just the nature of the beast. We're not we're not at the end-all, be-all. And, and honestly, our opinions might be wrong, right? Like, I, like you know, I was wrong about Colby Young at the start of the year. You and I went back and forth on that. I was a Romello Brinson guy. So, yeah. for, you know, it's night though. <laughs> he finally finally had his moment in the sun you know he's a yard bomb but uh it's it, it's i think the staff can't rely and think that just because a guy is a four or five star player they're going to come in and be an automatic early impact guy there's got to be that development that comes in behind it and that's i think where the alabamas and the ohio states and the georgias and and clemson's have really thrived is that when those four and five star guys come in Sometimes they're not always playing right away, yeah. right? There's an incubation period, and we haven't really seen that incubation period for a lot of our guys, right, where it's just where if they come in and they're not an automatic impact player, we kind of just toss them to the side, right? Like the you didn't reach expectations, you're a bust, right? And, and it's great to have guys like James Williams and Cam Kinchins and and people and you know those group of players like Wesley Besaints and the Leonard Taylors that come in and, and and do it as a freshman. But sometimes you got to keep those guys and keep building them because when they're sophomores, late in their sophomore year, right, or a redshirt sophomore year or a junior year, those could be your impact players on the team. And you know Xavier Restrepo is a good example of that. He wasn't a guy that that lit it up at the beginning of his career. He was a four-star receiver on this team, and this was the first time we've really seen him be an impact player on the Miami Hurricanes. But those guys have the potential to be building block players of the program. And I, I think that, you know, we look at the recruiting process and we look at rankings and we're like, 
oh, you had a you had five five stars. That means you should be good next season. That's not what it means. You still have to have the staff in place that could turn those kids into those five star players. And I don't think that Miami has had that in a very long time. I absolutely love Frank's point. Like you literally took it off the tip of my tongue what I was gonna say. And a lot of it goes into development, uh, that incubation period you're speaking about as well. Uh, allowing those guys to develop, get in the weight room, uh, spend time in the film room, learning, learning the scheme, uh, just learning technique over the course of some years. And you see this at other programs. Yeah, you know, Alabama and Georgia, they have maybe a select few kids that are freshmen or sophomores that get on the field right away. But not all those guys are on the field right away. Some of those guys, they sit for a year, two years, three years before they really get to hit the field. And at Miami, it's kind of different. You know, you kind of have between fan expectations, seeing a five-star or a high four-star saying, oh, yeah, he's got to jump in the lineup next year and make an impact. He's going to help us win next year. I don't think that should always be the case, but unfortunately, that has been the case at Miami. In regards to the star rating, though, like Frank said, and even you said too, Marcus, a lot of it is projection. Uh, you know, it depends on what recruiting industry uh, database you're looking at uh, among the the big four. But, you know, some it, it's varied on NFL projections. Some is uh, earliest impact they could make in college. It's all different uh, depending the database you're looking at. So it's never an exact science. A lot of it is just projection. So like I agree with you, like in terms as a player, yeah, I think Ruben Bain is a five-star player. Does he have five-star measurables? No, maybe not. But I think that's where it comes into play that you can't measure the intangibles, the things that you can't measure, you know, like just testing numbers or things like that. You can't, the, those are not really things that you could put an, a price on, I would say. You know, yeah. just as a football player, football IQ, understanding the game. Those are things that I don't think gets put enough into into these evaluations. That's a really good point, you know, because nobody's really I, – I, I don't think football acumen or what kind of grades they're making or what kind of – well, you know what is kind of put in, which doesn't make a lot of sense, is like – for example, like Arch Manning, he's basically rated as high as he is because of his name, you know, I think, in my opinion. I, I agree, actually. Um, but but yeah, they those those ratings are strictly with is strictly based upon what what you see on tape. And if you seen them live, that's the other part of it, too. Like a lot of these a lot of these uh, ratings are based on their highlights but they're not seeing the lowlights, yep. <laughs> you know, uh, I think that was the case with, to me for Shamar Stewart. I mean, Frank and I, and then our guy from uh streeter, we were talking about this last night after the game, Shamar Stewart, when you put on his highlight film, it looks amazing. But when you watch him in a game, you're like, where is he? <laughs> you know? Um, and he's hard to miss because he's a huge guy, but he's one of those guys that was rated as a five-star guy that I don't think, was necessarily a five-star type of player. Definitely a four-star. Definitely could probably 
be drafted to the NFL if he develops, but on the field, you just didn't see it, but you saw it on the highlight tape. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that kind of go into that as far as projections and ratings. Uh, but to kind of wrap up this this podcast, uh, which, you know, we kind of touched on a lot of great things here, but um, early prediction uh, for next season. I mean, I know it's early, you know, we're, we're going to have one of those way too early projections here uh, because the season just ended. I mean, potentially don't even know who the quarterback will be or maybe even a lot of these coaches, which ones will return. Uh, but how do you think 2023 is going to play out if we didn't make a bowl game in 2022? Eight and four. If, if Miami doesn't reach eight wins next year, I think it's a disappointment. I think you would like to see improvement from this season. I think a lot of fans or just even viewers or even us among the media would like to see less blowouts, more heart being put into the games by players or maybe even among coaches. Uh, too many blowouts in this 2022 season. It's very, very disheartening for any Canes fan to watch this season. Yeah, I'm going uh... – I'm going to go eight and four, too. Uh, obviously, no uh, no bold projection for me uh, just because I don't know what's going to happen. But uh, I think if, if TBD ends up staying, um, if he's a guy, if he's able to lead the program next year and, and they're able to make some necessary staff changes, that could get up to 10. Um, but I think you got to temper expectations and, and go like eight and four right now. Yeah, book it. It's it's going to be an eight and four season because that's what I'm I'm thinking too. Uh, because they won five games, right? And that North Carolina game, I think they win that type of game next season. So that's six wins, right? And I think they don't lose to a Middle Tennessee State uh, next season because they'll they'll be I think they'll be more mentally prepared. So that's seven, right? And then the other game for me, I think that kind of fell by the wayside was that Texas A&M game. I think that's a yeah. game that. They could have definitely won if they would have, you know, a couple of plays would have would, would have bounced their way. So, so that's so that's eight, and, and that's that's where I think it stops. All these other games against, you know, Florida State, Clemson, Duke, um, I could see them losing those type of games. Pitt, I could see them losing those type of games again next season because. It's going to be another year of assimilation of, 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 of talent that are trying to kind of figure it out. But I think one year into it generates to a few more wins. Before we close this out, uh, last talking point here I want to bring up. Do you think the 2017 that went 5-7 and seven, the first year under Randy Shannon would beat this team this year? Now, that 2017 was pretty good, man. Like Greg Cooper, my guy, was was, was on that team, and uh, Javaris James. Uh, I think Calais Campbell was on this team. Yeah. Uh, Kenny Phillips, our guy, Kenny Phillips, uh, and uh, Colin McCarthy, one of my favorite linebackers ever to play yeah. at the U. <laughs> was on that team as well. Um, and Col all those players I, I named are better than any player on, on the current Miami team. <laughs> so, so yeah, I'm taking 07. I'm taking 07 too. I, I think there was more talent then. I, I just think 
you know, there was more of an attitude on that team. And I think that this team might get punked by them. Honestly, it's it's pretty much how I would look at it. And it's it's pretty tough to say, but, you know, there were some good players. Alan Bailey, right, like Greg Cooper. Greg Cooper was one of my favorite players, and that that was young Greg Cooper, I think, too. So, overall, you know, it it was probably a more talented team at the top than this one right now. Um, But I I, I don't know, man. I I, I just – I, I got a bad taste in my mouth with this current Hurricanes team. And, yeah. uh, you know, the the, the 10 games uh, or the 10 different performances offensively and defensively that we could talk about, five games of allowing forty over 40 points, five games of 16 or less points. I think that's just that perfect way to, to wrap up uh, my thoughts on what this team uh, could do against any Hurricanes team in the past, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to agree with you guys. Uh I'll go with the, that 2017. They, there was some issues on that roster, but I think there was more top tier talent on that team compared to compared to this 2022 team from Miami. Yeah, and, and you had the schedule uh, pulled up, where was Miami blown out? Besides the one game that uh, you're not yes, even exactly. mentioned, the last game in the Orange Bowl. <laughs> uh, besides that game, were they even blown out? Yeah, they they were. They were, but they played more ranked teams then too. Okay. Yeah, Miami played more tough teams that year. They their losses that season was an Oklahoma team that was one of the best teams in the country that year, a top ten team. Uh they lost to a North Carolina team barely. They lost to Georgia Tech. They lost to North Carolina State. That North Carolina State game, there was actually a there was a play that happened. I'm not I'm not sure if it was that year or the year prior. I might be thinking wrong, but there was an interception by Brandon Merriweather that was incorrectly called back. And like, it was never, well, back then there wasn't really like a challenge or anything for that, uh, that Miami should have gotten the ball back and won that game. But I do recall watching that season very young at the time. I was in middle school. Uh, Miami lost like two games that year off of, just fumbling punt returns. Like they, they literally just gave the game away in the fourth quarter. Yeah. All right. So 07, better than 22. <laughs> All right. Um, so I guess that's going to wrap it up for the Storm Tracker podcast. Uh, remember to subscribe to us on, on YouTube. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter and uh, Facebook as well. Most importantly, subscribe to the website canescounty.com for exclusive information until the next episode.